an object, so I'm not sure I want to do that. Open up to Malachi with me this morning. I didn't have any paraphernalia from the Belize group who are Belizers. Yeah. The Belizers group. Well, I know you guys had like a mascot that didn't represent the name of your group. <laughs> All right, let me, uh, let me share something with you guys before we get into Malachi this morning. Here's why we're doing Spiritual Olympics. Because there's a reality in Christianity today. I'm, I'm going to be very serious about this. There's a, there's a reality in the land in which we live that Christians who are seeking to do, and I love what Eric helped us to remember from Bob's message last week, who are seeking to connect with the greatness and glory of God, to be mindful and aware of God's grace that has made our relationship with him even possible, and then to be infected and sent on a mission for the rest of our lives while we're here. That's Christianity. It is a profound thing. It is not a hobby. It is something that turns your life upside down and inside out, making the most important thing about who you are who God is. That's the most important thing about our lives. But today, here's the tragedy. Today, too many Christians are, are living their lives by attending a couple of meetings like this a week and having the minimum amount of personal interaction with God. Not because they protest it, not because they don't think it's important, but because it's just hard to find time to do it. They just don't get around to doing it. And so we're Christians running on fumes, living from meeting to meeting. Okay, we cannot survive that way. Your walk will not survive. Your love for God will be lived at such a level, and, and it may be that if that's all you've ever known, then you've never known what it would be like to be lit up by God. You just, you've got a version of Christianity you try and share with others, but it's not one that's explosive. It's not one that blows your mind. You don't have that kind of stuff to say about God because God's just not near enough. All right, so why do we do spiritual Olympics? Because what needs to happen in our lives as Christians needs to happen outside this meeting. It needs to happen every day. You and I, we need food to survive. We need air to breathe. We need spiritual input in our lives every day. We desperately need it every day. So we, we, we began this year with a thing in January we called the 30-30 health plan. You guys will remember that. But this is just another attempt at that. And it's something that we're, we're going to die on this hill. So if you, you don't like this hill, you're just not going to like this periodically. But here's, here's what excites us. I got this in March of this year. I got this from somebody who just got engaged, who just happens to be here this morning. This is so, this is so funny. I, had, I have been holding off on reading this since I got it in March. And this morning I decided, I'm going to read this this morning, the week before we start the Spiritual Olympics. And only God can do this. Just a few days ago, John goes out to Arizona and proposes to Ashley, and she comes back, and she's here. So this is, this is something Ashley had sent me in as an email. Dear Pastor Keith, thank you for the 3030 health plan. I am forever changed because of it. Prior to taking on the challenge, I found it very difficult amongst my busy medical school schedule to stop and spend time with the Lord. I made all kinds of excuses, 
I knew I was lacking in spiritual growth and had the desire to spend more time with God, but it didn't, I didn't know how to break my routine and make a change. Then I heard about the 30-30 health plan when I was at Lakeview on Sunday while at home uh, on Christmas break. I knew I needed to spend more time with the Lord, and I was anxious to see him work in my life more clearly. So I took the challenge and made the commitment. The first 30 days were amazing, so amazing that I couldn't stop. I'm now on day 68, and I plan to keep going. I've never had such a hunger for the word of God. The more I read, the more I want to know him even more. I've experienced a peace and a joy that I have never known. Right? This is not a person who's never been in church. Do you notice this? This is a person who's been around Christianity, but experiencing something that uniquely comes by personal time with God. My prayer life has also increased immensely. I find myself praying and talking to God throughout the day. My prayer is so much more heartfelt and sincere. In the three years since I've been saved, I've never known the Lord like this. With the spiritual growth I have witnessed in the last 68 days, I can't imagine how amazing a lifetime of being more intimate with the Lord will be. I've never witnessed the Lord move so quickly since reading more of his word and spending more precious time in prayer with him. I am watching him sort through relationships in my life and point out patterns of sin I never knew I had. While I struggle with these changes temporarily, I know that the Lord is working everything for my good. I'm, I'm grateful that we have a God who reveals our sin to us ever so kindly and has mercy on us and allows us to repent and be forgiven. I'm also so grateful for his grace because I know that I'm not able to change my ways based on my own flesh. I was telling John recently that I didn't realize how detrimental it was to my spiritual health to not be in the word daily until I started to do it. Thank you again for the challenge. It has forever changed me and is no longer a challenge, but the part of my day that I long for and find so rewarding. Right? That's why we do Spiritual Olympics. So please, please join us in this endeavor. Sign up for your events, participate, and let God create his own story for you. All right, this morning we are going to look at one verse in Malachi chapter 3. And it is verse... Excuse me. Can you kill that for one second so I can make sure this thing is hooked up? I just, I'll try to stay away from touching that. Um, there's one word in this verse that particularly captures my attention as I read it. Malachi 3, verse 12. It says, then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. I'm, I'm drawn to this word, then. Then, that's what you'll be. And I titled the message, Then, How to Enter the Land of Delight, because I don't think any of us want to live outside the land of delight. But the reality, the reality for these folks is that their now situation was not what then could look like for them. What they were experiencing in the now was not what 
Malachi from God was telling them their life could be, then, then your life will be a land of delight. Right now, it's not a land of delight. That was their experience. And if you remember walking through, if you went back to Malachi 1, you'd find verse 2, verse 13. You'd find a people that were grumbling complaining about their life. That's what life felt like. They were, they were wearied by serving God. God highlights that for them. They didn't feel loved by God. They raised that challenge to God right from the beginning of the book. I have loved you. Really, you've loved us. That they're, they're distant from experiencing the love of God. And all of us can say in a textbook sense, we know God loves us. But they couldn't say in a realistic reality sense that they tasted that love and could speak about it as though it was a part of their lives. They were going through the routines. They gathered for church services. They did the stuff that believers did. But yet God said, but you you sound wearied by it. You're wearied by doing the things that I've said are valuable to you. All right, listen, we, we don't live far from these folks. That's one of the things that Malachi has been helpful for us in. I think we find ourselves in that place. I think some of us, maybe this last week, maybe the last month or last year of our lives could easily feel like, uh, you know, the love of God. I, I know that in principle. I don't know if I'm convinced of it after all I've been through, after the way life has felt. I, I know I'm supposed to say I know God loves me, but it doesn't feel like it. Or You've been a Christian, you're walking through this Christian thing, you're doing the Christian stuff, you come to church, but you're wearied. You come to church, maybe this morning, was a wearisome task. It was a lot of effort to be here, to get yourself motivated, get around people, get around God's word, or, or to go to covenant group. It's just, you know... I, you know, I'm busy, I got a lot going on. It's just one more thing, just one more thing. Church starts to feel like just one more thing in lives that are busy, loaded down with stuff. We don't feel excited. All right, can we live next door to these people or what? I mean, let's be honest. Some of us are there, have been there if we're not there right now. You, know, you keep reading through, you find leaders have lost interest and passion for God. Malachi speaks directly to leaders and says things like, you have turned aside from the way. You, you do not keep my ways. Right? How did those leaders get there? Right? Leaders in the church here today? How, how, did, how can we get there? How does that become our story that we, we kind of turn aside? You know, th- these are people un- undoubtedly they experience as leaders, because this, this will be true of leaders in the church, there is a, there is a constant, I don't know how to call it, a constant parade of people activity in a leader's life. That's the, the, the nature of leadership is you're leading people. And so there's this parade of activity into your life. Not only do you have the normal categories of wife, husband, children, job responsibilities, but now you have welcomed another set of people into your life. So you have this parade of activity that can begin to weary you, begins to feel like every area of my life is thin. I'm not happy with any of it because I'm just spending myself left and right. And then, then, I mean, let's be real. We bump into people. People have attitudes. People have issues. And so next thing you know, these leaders, I think, found themselves in the polit- political crosshairs. 
people wanted to bring certain types of offerings and not other types of offerings. And, you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't acceptable for that priest to get in somebody's face and challenge that, uh, not if you wanted to be liked by people. And so you got people leading people. They've got issues in their own life, and they become distracted from serving God wholeheartedly and begin to sort of negotiate, even though it's unofficial, right? Nobody really negotiates, but they negotiate. They figure out, what do you like? What do you not like? Let me, let me begin to respond to you the way that you like. And these guys began to do that. I, I wonder how many leaders, I, I do, I say this to us this morning as a challenge. I wonder how many leaders get to a place like this and they just quit. I, w- I wonder if you're here this morning. At some point, God has given you abilities as a leader to lead and influence others. You're part of the church, but you don't lead in the church, and you kind of don't want to. Because it got hard to do that. And you've quit. So it's a, we're not far from these guys, are we? People were faithless. We went a few weeks ago, talked about the fact that these were people that they didn't have loyalties to one another. They weren't taking up their place of responsibility and caring for each other's lives. They weren't doing that. They were, they were an unhappy people, right? Chapter 2, verse 13. This is what you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. So there's this heaviness. The people aren't filled with joy. They're just walking through, doing their religious stuff. Isn't it interesting Isn't it interesting that you can be miserable about your life and still not want to change your life? Don't you hate that about yourself? (laughs) That I can be be complaining, I can come to you and with a list of things, I'm just complaining, I don't like this, I wish this was, why does it have to be, and yet I just keep doing the same thing I've been doing over and over again. Well, that's them. That's where they're at. And then God jumps in, That's their now condition and makes this statement, but there's a then. Then things would be different. It's not now, but then something could be different. Then nations will call you blessed. They will look at your life and they will call you blessed. Right? That word blessed, it it means happy. They will call you a happy people. You know what advertisement does? When, when you're happy about something, right? I mean, because you and I, whether you like that term or not, that's, you and I are here upon this earth as advertisers for God. We're saying something about God. Every day of my life, I'm saying something about God, how he's treating me, how worthy he is, how, how satisfied I am with the deal I've got with God, being my God, providing for me the way he's providing for me, caring for me the way he is, sovereignly arranging my life to be exactly where it is right now at this moment. Keith, are you happy? Because if I'm not happy, stop just thinking that you're not happy with your circumstances and you're not happy with the people around you. If you're not happy, you're not happy with God. And nations aren't going to stand up and go, wow, that." That's a bunch of people right there. There's something about, those people got something. You ever hear people say that about Christians? They should, and they do. Those people got something. Well, what do they see? They see, they see happiness in the midst of fallenness. That, that's a blessed people right there. They are blessed 
and you will be a land of delight, right? You will be living, dwelling in a land of delight, a land that's desirable, a land that you're drawn to. This word delight is actually used of how a man desires a woman. So it's a, it's a delightful pursuit. The chase is on. This is a land you want to live in this land. You love living in this land. It's not this wearied, oh, you know, being a Christian. It's not that. Right, God says that's not now, but that could be. That could be. Then you will be this. So what happens between the now and the then? Right? Where, where's... Where's God locating the emphasis here? Right? It's always, always good to use these terms. My son tells me I, I use them ad nauseum. That there are indicative statements in the Bible and imperative statements in the Bible. And he loves that I would use those big words. Uh, but in this particular transition point, Malachi puts an emphasis and puts into the crosshairs, what do you need to do? Then you will be. And there are aspects to what God does. There are aspects to the grace of God that, that I said this a few weeks ago, I think it's consistent throughout Malachi, that remain unexperienced because we don't respond and receive from God. They remain foreign elements to us. They remain in the storyline of the Bible. We can talk about it from here. We just can't talk about it from here because it's not my experience. Because some form of receiving hasn't taken place for me in this. And I think that the then here is emphasizing this receiving on behalf of the people of God. Look at this passage, put in your outline there. Hebrews, the end of chapter 3, beginning of chapter 4. It says, while it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt, led by Moses, right? This is, a, this is a passage in the New Testament referring to something at least 1,400 years earlier. And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. And chapter 4 begins. Therefore, let us fear, right? New Testament Christians. Let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest. All right, do you see that there's a promise on the table? It's not a hope that maybe there will be a promise there's already a promise on the table. The promised land already exists. Let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter the rest. Right? Do you, you, you see this description here. Now we're aware from reading the Bible that before anybody left Egypt and parted ways with Egypt 
and went to the promised land. The promised land already existed. The promised land was there already. God had already created the promised land, established the promised land before anybody knew to ask him for it, before anybody did anything to appeal to God to create favorable place for his people. God, by his own choice, had created this place called the promised land. He introduces it to his people. He tells them where it is. He says there's these boundaries. He says in it there's all this good that's a land flowing with milk and honey. There's provision there. There's abundance there. There's blessing there. But yet not all the people experienced it. There were promises from God that the people of God didn't get to taste. Right? Remember, there was, you know, the spies went over, spies came back. They brought back these giant branches of grapes and fruit from the land. There was a whole generation that never got to taste any of that fruit. Did the fruit not exist? Oh, it existed. It was already there. It was there by the grace of God. It was already there. But you didn't have a bunch of people running around saying, can I tell you about the abundance of God? Can I tell you about the sweetness of what I've tasted in God? Can I tell you about a land flowing with milk and honey? Can I tell you about abundance and provision? Could they tell that story? No. Was that story a real story to be told? Yes, it was. That's the land the God of grace had created for them to experience Yet they were not experiencing that. That was not their story. So do you, do you see something important here? And, and can you make sure you're very careful that you, you don't, like I said last week, put up a barbed wire fence between the Old Testament and the New Testament and make it sound as though this is not beneficial for us. Oh, yes, it is. Hebrews is putting its foot in this story and, and grabbing the collar of a New Testament believer and saying, hey, make sure you pay attention to this because what happened to them can happen to us. That's why that passage is written in Hebrews. So there's this land. Malachi calls it a land of delight. How do we experience it? What's the recipe for experiencing the land of delight? Well, I think it's the same recipe from Genesis to Revelation. It is grace received through faith. Now, I know that sounds like Ephesians chapter 2, right? By grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. Right, so this, this is not, you know, sometimes, again, this is the way we read the Bible. Sometimes we get to Ephesians 2 and we read and we go, wow, what a great new concept on, on Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Well, you know, I've never seen that before. It's been there. It's been there all along. God didn't just learn how to do grace when he got to Ephesians chapter 2. God was doing grace here in Malachi. He's doing the grace thing right here. Now, let me highlight something because I want to I grab grace. I want to grab faith today. I want to locate it here in Malachi and be careful with it. Grace, grace is, is what is in God that causes him to create promised lands. It's what's in God that gives him a desire to create a place of blessing. It's already there. It already exists in the heart of God. It hadn't been earned. It's not being provoked by 
the goodness of people. It's God creating it and then coming to his people and said, here, this is from me for you. That's, that's grace, right? Listen carefully with me. I wrote this out carefully. I want you to read it with me. Look at these concepts. God as the source and eager giver of grace. Where does grace come from? Well, it's from God, right? And he is the source and the eager giver of grace. It's God who authors covenant love and pursues the objects of that love, right? The only reason why you and I ever got wind of God was because God pursued us. Not because this is a room full of smart people, smarter than all those people who don't know God. No, no. God was faster than your ability to run away from him, and he ran you down. And he introduced you to a promised land that you didn't know existed and promises and covenant love that was foreign to you. God who works in us to will and to do so that we might receive his pursuit. And this is, this is where it gets a little mind-blowing. Because God can run you down all day long. But who's to say you're interested in being caught by God? Who's to say you really want God's love? When we read in the Bible, you find out you really don't want it. And so you find out grace is a whole lot more than God being nice. Grace is God at work in you so that you will receive what he's done for you. Otherwise, nobody's going into the promised land. You become interested in the grace of God by the grace of God. Look at this next thought. God who draws the boundary lines of a promised land and prescribes the parameters of how those who dwell in it will be blessed. God originates this stuff, this land flowing with milk and honey. In Malachi, you get these promises from God. Look in verse 10. Bring the full tithe in, right, that there may be food, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord. Here's what I'm going to do. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you. And pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. All right, that's God describing the promised land right there. There's the land of delight. I'm going to move on your behalf and swallow up every need in your life. Who, who designed that parameter? Who drew the boundary for God right there? Was that anything man had done or is that just in the heart of God to bless? I will rebuke the devourer for you. And your land, I will make sure that it produces. Who drew these boundary lines? It's the graciousness of God who creates the boundaries for you and I to experience his promises. That's grace. God who has compassion and mercy on our failing to pursue or persist. Right, we've said this before, please don't overlook it though. When we read in Malachi, we read of people who, they just deserve to be defriended. Right, that's what they deserve. If, if Facebook existed, they would have been defriended by God. Just defriend these suckers. Be done with them. Just once again, over and over and over. Waywardness after waywardness, after self-interest, after setting aside, after blowing me off, after making my name look bad all over the world. That's my people. Defriend. That's what they deserve. They don't deserve Malachi with a message from God coming to them, calling them back. Now, do you see why it drives me nuts when people think that the grace of God appeared in the New Testament? This is grace. You see this? 
God who makes his amazing moves of lavishing kindness. That's what Ephesians says, that God might lavish kindness on us in the age to come. On us when we are at our worst. This is where grace really shows itself off. Because it comes into our life in moments when we don't deserve. Matter of fact, we deserve the opposite of what it's doing. Right? What does God tell these guys? Malachi chapter 3, verse 13. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. Your words, your attitude right now in this moment where I'm saying, I'm going to open the windows of heaven. Here's the promised land, a land of delight, a land of blessing where everybody will notice and be impressed. I'm providing all that for you. And what are you doing? Your words have been hard against me. Do you see how grace operates in the face of a people Who's, who are accusing God. God's taking the day off. God's re, he's rewarding the unjust. God's not showing up in our lives in a way that matters to us. Where is this God anyway? That's the attitude of the people. It's in the face of that attitude that God comes in and says, but I'll swallow up your need. I'll provide for you. I'll rebuke the devourer. Right? This is grace in the face of hostility. And by the way, that's always the first thing grace encounters. Always. Oh, well, I'm, I don't feel like I'm a hostile person toward God. Well, more important than how you may feel is what the Bible tells us about us. Because the Bible says we are. Look, just quick, quick thoughts here. Romans 5, verse 10. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. While we were enemies. Now you might say, but I've never felt like I was God's enemy and God was never mine. But that's not what the Bible says. See, this, you know, God sees things at a level that you and I don't see. We were enemies of God. We had hijacked God's universe. We had made it about us when he had intended it to be made about him. We were enemies to the cause and purpose of God. Romans 8 verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Maybe I didn't feel like my mind was hostile to God, but the Bible says my mind was hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. You study that verse out and you let that be expanded into all the other verses in the Bible that sound just like that. You have an interesting situation on your hands. You have the Bible telling us that our, our minds and attitudes are actually not submitted to God and hostile to God. It's one thing to say, hey, you know, I'm kind of neutral toward God. No, I'm hostile because God has an agenda and I refuse to let it prevail in my life. I want what I want. And as long as God wants what I want, he and I can get along. But if he doesn't want what I want, I'll just, I'll just do it myself. I'll figure out a way to make my life work without God. Well, God says that's hostility. And then he goes further and says... Your mind doesn't submit to God. Not only that, it cannot. It cannot. Your mind is hostile to God, and it cannot submit to God. It can't. Now, do you see a dilemma on our hands right now? We have minds at odds with God, and our minds cannot change. This is a real problem, isn't it? If you've never seen this in the Bible, you haven't read the Bible very carefully. 
And once you read this and you see it, you will say, wow, I thought I understood what grace was. When you see this, grace will be in capital letters to you. Because somehow you went from I cannot to I will and I want to. All right, do you, do you know what happened right there? You're giving yourself an A? You think that was you? You think you pulled that off? What happened to the Bible saying you can't? How'd you go from here to here if you can't go from here to here? Well, Titus chapter 3 and a multitude of other verses. Verse 3, for we ourselves, right, this is a good, read this passage, you're going to find us in it, you'll find God in it. Watch what it says about both of us. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, right? So you have us on the one hand, and now you have God on the other. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. When God appeared, he saved us. So how did you get from here when you cannot submit to God, and you don't want to, by the way, either, to I want to and I do submit my life to God wholeheartedly. How did you go from here to here? He saved us. That's the grace of God. That's how you got there. That's why no man can boast. That's why none of us can stand over here and say, just waiting for you to wise up and jump on over here. You know, I don't understand. How long are you going to stay an idiot? You know, dude, your life's not working. Listen, a long time ago, I figured this thing out. Oh, that's how you got saved, really? No, no. I read the Bible. He saved us. So this, you know, if you're amongst Christians, you're amongst the most humble bunch of people on the planet. Because we're all standing over here scratching our heads going, I couldn't, and suddenly I wanted to. What happened? Why did I suddenly want to belong to God and follow him? He saved us. When I read the Bible, I'm going to find this concept all over the place. Here's what I love about making sure I get this at the start. Making sure I don't depart from this point at the start. Because it introduces me to something about God that you need after you've been saved for 10 years or 10 minutes or 100 years. You need to realize there's something about what God does. It's sort of like God's trump card. You know what a trump card is? You guys play cards? A trump card? Uh, Trump cards are... You know, if you got a deck of cards, and you know, of course, you know, get two, three, four, five, six, it goes up, and you got queen, king, ace is the top card. Well, trump card is the one above the ace. It's the one that says, overrule you. No matter what you put down, the trump card triumphs. That's where the word actually comes from. It will triumph, right? Here's a here's a definition for the trump card. It can refer to any sort of action, authority, or policy which automatically prevails over all others. That's a trump card. So you're playing cards, you know, and you think you got this great hand, you know. Okay. 
queens, kings. You got an ace. You got an ace. <laughs> I got an ace, man. Bring it on. You just push it all in. But you, you overlook that at the beginning of the game, there was this one wild card that trumped them all. And so you can put down the best, most biggest power play you got, and all one guy's got to do is pull out his trump card, and he triumphs over it. All right, now that's what grace is. Grace is a trump card for God. Grace is God coming into your life no matter what the condition of your life is. No matter where it is, God can, does, often step in and play the grace card. No matter what you have or haven't done. Now listen, some of us have lived through seasons of our life where we feel like, you know, right now, sin and struggles and failure, you know, threes and fours and fives. That's about where I'm at right now, you know. So I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, hey, can, can, God, can God meet me? Can God overcome me? You know, what kind of problems am I having right now? You know, threes and fours and fives. You know, i got a problem being on time. Um, you know, I'm not always nice to people. They pull out to me in traffic. But, you know, threes and fours and fives, you know, not, not big issues, not enslaving kind of sin. And then you got some of us here who are familiar with at points in our lives where we feel like we got, you know, queens and kings and aces of a life of failure and sin. We've got habitual sins. We've got habitual sins with big price tags on them. We've got the stuff that we indulge and, and it creates deceit and there's this whole fake world that's being lived in front of other people that's going to get discovered and when it does, you're going to be a huge liar and everybody's going to be disappointed and there's going to be debt and, and maybe it's drugs and, and maybe the people that are affected by it, their whole life is messed up now. There's a huge cost. And so you're here. You're here in this meeting this morning. You're saying, I don't have threes and fours and fives. I got queens and kings and aces. You understand? I got things going on in my life that nothing, nothing can change it. I feel hopeless. You didn't hear how the game started. The game started with God playing a card called grace, and he can play at any moment he wants to in your life. At any moment, God can play that card. That's how you got saved. You didn't get saved by getting rid of all your, you know, it's not like a card game. Let me get rid of all my queens and kings and aces and get down to twos and threes and fours. And then God, then God, you know, then God can come in because, you know, God's got like at least nines and tens and jacks. So he can come in and win my life over, see, because I just got threes and fours and five sins. How many of us think that way? You get really in a mess, and even God can't step into that. And listen, this is, this is critical. This is so stinking important. It, it's why God can jump into Malachi's situation the way he does. Because at any moment, God just decides I'm playing the grace card. These people don't deserve for me to step in at all. But I am, and I'm going to play the grace card. Listen, if you don't get this right doctrinally, you, you are destined to live under this shadow. I don't want to call it legalism. I think legalism is, is a term that's abused. Most people don't even know what it means anymore. But it's, you know, it's, it's got kill power, you know. I want to kill the conversation. Just label what you're telling me legalism. Oh, it's like theological cancer. Oh, 
So legalism can't go there. All right, let me, let me substitute, because I think most of the time we're not talking about legalism. We're talking about what I would call human performance syndrome, which is very different than legalism. Human performance syndrome in us operates like this. It gives us this idea that we live in this cause and effect universe. That based on my human performance, I can affect whatever God will do and can do next. God is, is somehow linked to my activity for him to do what he can do. It's almost as though God is living in a cage and I have the key. And if I'll just obey, if I'll just get it together, if I'll just get rid of those queens and kings and aces issues, if I just do something, if I just move toward God, if I just do something, I can unlock the cage and God can come out and do all that he wanted to do in my life. How many of y'all have theology like that? Let me tell you that many of you do have theology like that. You ever use this phrase? You ever say this? Well, you know, Keith, looking at your life, a lot of problems, a lot of issues going on there. And um, listen, buddy, God loves you, but he can't violate your free will. Now, you've heard that. You've looked at people's lives, had a conversation about that situation, and, and you've explained it by saying, well, it's really terrible, I know, but, you know, God can't violate their free will. Now, that, that's, that's a phrase, that, that phrase is a theological nightmare. Because anytime you say God and follow God with can't, I think immediately you got some problems, right? God can't. Really, I, I didn't know God was accountable to anyone. I thought God could do whatever he wants to do on any given day, at any given moment. Let me tell you, including violate your free will. How many of y'all think that when people are going to be under the wrath of God facing hell, they're going to be eagerly agreeing with that concept? In that moment, you have just met God and the judgment of God has fallen upon you and their will is going to say, no, no, I'm reconsidering, no, no, I don't want to go to hell, no, no. Do you think God's going to say, ah, shoot. I've been talking about hell all this time. I had no idea somebody would resist me and say no, and I can't violate their free will, so all right, everybody's in. Everybody's in heaven. I mean, do you read your Bible and find that? Do you really read your Bible and find that God doesn't violate anybody's will? Are you kidding me? Secondly, do you read your Bible, even just in terms of the little verses we just looked at, and think free and will belong together? When you read the Bible, you don't find the Bible saying that your will is enslaved to sin, that it's dead to God. That, that's what I find. So in no way, and this is such an interesting upside-down concept. It's like we've created men who are free and God is in a cage. And if free men will just walk over and unlock the cage, God will come out and be God to them. Is, is, are you for real? That's where that theology takes you. Men with the key to letting God become God. How many of you know God, God's not in a cage? I'm God in the heavens. I do whatsoever I will, which includes playing the grace card in your life whenever he wants. At any moment when you've provided him nothing to give him cause to do it. Do you understand what good news this is at every second of your life? 
Because no matter how bad it is, no matter how many queens and kings and aces you got in your hand right now, God can step in and say, I choose to be gracious to you right now. Without you doing anything to fix a thing, I choose to be gracious to you right now. That's grace. That's what creates the land of delight. That's why there's actually real estate that God's created for you and I to live in that's not waiting for you and I to build it. It was built by God. That's how grace operates. But grace is received by faith. There's land that God has built that the people of God sometimes don't experience. Right? Hebrews, you can't escape that. This is a reality. So where's this faith thing come in? Look back in Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Right? That, there's your contribution. God in his grace says, return to me. Return to me. Well, how can we return to you? God says, well, you're robbing me with tithes and offerings that you are not bringing to me. So bring the full tithe. There's two imperative statements. One is return to me. The other is bring the full tithe to me. Now, now if you understand grace, don't let anybody go down this road. Don't anybody go down this road with the tithe. Don't go down this road with your prayer life, with how many Bible verses you read or memorize. This is not the entrance fee for human performance to get God to, to get engaged. Bring the full tithe, because you know if you kick up to 10%, then God will come out of his cage and show up in your life. That's the key right there. Or return to me. If you just will do this, do this. That's not what God's about right here. But what is God about right here? Well, when I read about the tithe, as we said a couple of weeks ago, God's about creating an opportunity for people to trust him to look to him. The reason why they weren't tithing, God comes in and says, I'll swallow up the need in your life. You have needs in your life. That's why you won't give to me because you think you got to meet your own needs. Trust me. Look to me. Depend upon me. What's God calling them to do here? He's calling them to have faith toward God. God's postured in grace. The land of delights already exists. They're not going to create it by their obedience. But they can receive it by faith. By faith, the way the Bible talks about faith. Huge faith. Impacting faith. Life-changing faith. Redefining faith. That when it touches your life, you're going to know it's on the scene. You've got to put this phrase in your outline. Faith that receives and produces an effect. Not event, some eventless commodity. Right? That's what faith is to way too many people. It's like an eventless commodity. It's something I've got. Hey, Keith, you got faith? Well, yeah, I, I would consider myself a, a person of faith. I think, I, yeah, I have faith. All right, well, show me the events of faith. Show me the impact. It's kind of like you're asking, hey, Keith, you, you, you won any trophies from playing sports in high school? Well, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, I did. They, you know, they're in the attic, in a box. Haven't thought about them in quite a while, as a matter of fact. But, yeah, I do have them. It's kind of like an old sweater sitting in the back of your Closet. Do you have it? Well, yeah. Yeah, I got it. I, got, I think I got a sweater just like that. Is it having any effect on your life? I mean, really? Really? Because these guys had that kind of faith. They were going to church, they were bringing offerings, they were even bringing part of the tithe. 
but they weren't looking to God in faith. Do you understand? You can do some of this stuff. You can get so close and not really be doing what God's saying do. God says, bring the full tithe, because when you do that, you're going to have to trust me. When you stop adjusting it down to what you can afford to bring to me so that you'll have resources for yourself, when you bring the full tithe, it's going gonna, it's gonna to tempt you to freak out. You're going to be afraid, and you're going to have to trust me in that moment. Right? This is what faith really is. Right, just for the sake of time, I won't take you into Hebrews but if, if you were to read Hebrews chapter 11, remember how Hebrews chapter 11 starts? It's the hall of faith chapter. It starts off with a definition. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That, I, that sounds almost like a mind-twisting phrase, isn't it? The, the assurance of things hoped for. Well, wait, that's like an oxymoron or something. Things hoped for are things that you don't have that you kind of, you know, Hope that I will. Faith, though, is the assurance. I've got that. Wait, wait, but, but it's stuff you're hoping for. You don't have it. No, no, I've got it. I've got it. And I will live like I've got that. It's the assurance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Well, I, I don't see it. Oh, it's there. It's there. No, no, Keith, you're going nuts, man. It, it's not there. No, yes, it is there. It's the evidence. I am sure of it. Remember I said faith years ago? Faith lives right next door to what? Crazy. I mean, you're driving down the street and you see faith, the next door neighbor is crazy. It's like, wow, sometimes I can't tell the difference between you two guys. You sure you got that? I'm absolutely sure I have that. But what's interesting is Hebrews 11 quickly moves from a definition of faith to a long, lengthy explanation of the impact of faith. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, it's a drop full of definition and a swimming pool full of affected lives. Abraham, who by faith picked up everything he owned, every part of his life, and relocated to a land where he didn't even know where it was. Didn't know what was awaiting for him there. By faith, this man put his life on the line. Abraham, you got faith? I mean, you, you ask Abraham that while he's crossing some rickety bridge in the middle of nowhere. Abraham, you got faith? He's not going to scratch his head and say, yeah, you know, I think I do. I think I've got it in a box in an attic somewhere. Yeah. No, no, he's going to say, well, I'm standing right here by faith. I've traveled halfway across the world here. I, I don't even know where I'm going. Yeah, I'd say I got faith. When he goes to offer up his son Isaac, does he have faith? Yeah, he's got faith. Moses, big muckety-muck in Egypt, decides to walk away from the ultimate American lifestyle at that point and go live amongst a third world people who are hated and rejected by just about everybody. I mean, you got Hall of Fame people here. you got Egypt and Assyria. and you got all these world-dominant forces. And then you, and then you got Israel, the smallest one of them all. And he's going to go play for them. You kidding me? He's like leaving the dream team, dude. He's going to go, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go live with the Israelites. I'm, I'm going to go be one of them. Wait, wait, wait. Time out, Moses. Do you understand? You're leaving the employers to go live with the slaves. I mean, you sure you're getting this right, dude? By faith, he recognized God's hand was upon these people's lives in a way that he said the reward is better over there than it is here. By faith, a bunch of people, three million people. Can you get this? Three million people pack up all their stuff. 
uh, by permission, steal from the Egyptians. That'd be a cool thing if God just said, you have permission to steal all you want. That's kind of an interesting thing. There's a good example of God does whatsoever he will. Uh, help yourself to other people's stuff on the way out. So they leave Egypt, three million of them, and walk into a desert. I mean, can you imagine what the, they, I can imagine what this must have looked like. You know, this celebration kind of looks like a Cecil B. DeMille's thing. They're just celebrating this band's going on. You know, they get to where they kind of can't see Egypt anymore, and they look around. I'm pretty sure the band died by that point. It's like they're going, uh, Moses, uh, I, don't know, I hadn't seen like a McDonald's. Uh, there was a Domino's a way back, but just one. And there is three million of us. Do you think they can feed? What would, how are they going to feed three million people? I mean, do you get this? You read this story. It's like, oh, no big deal. We'll just walk out into the middle of nowhere, into the wilderness, into a desert with three million people, men, women, children, infants. Moses. You got faith? Well, I don't know. This dude had faith. This is the kind of faith the Bible's talking about. The Bible describes faith. It's this radical trusting God in an amazing way that shows up in the daily life that you're living. It shows up in every aspect of who you are, in the way you conduct yourself in business, in how you marry, who you marry, what you're doing with your families. It shows up everywhere. That's the faith that Malachi is talking about. But his people didn't have that. They weren't looking to God that way. Now here's where I want us to to finish. I want you to think a little bit. There's this now life that you're experiencing, and there's this then life. Then you will be blessed. Nations will call you blessed, and you will be a land of delight. How do do we get there? Well, receiving big from God, from a big, gracious God who has drawn the boundaries for an amazing land to dwell in, to be received by faith, having that kind of radical trust in God. Now, listen, I'll be honest with you. I'm not always running around praying these big, giant, faith-filled, radical prayer requests. Right? Did I put this in your outline? Faith is supposed to feel risky. Does your life feel risky right now? Untamed. Not always predictable. Frequently requiring nearness to God. You you live in a life that if God's not near to you right now, you're panicking. Your life is in a panic. Too many Christians want a tamed, safe human-sized life that doesn't require us to look to God and need God to intervene or rescue us. I'm that way. We need to stop wanting a life that can be lived without God. Right? I mean, do you, if you could kind of just extract the general content of your prayers, would yours sometimes sound like mine? It's kind of like, oh, God. Right? I mean, I know it's dressed up and it's, it's, it's got some Bible verses in it and and I'm asking God uniquely, and I'm, you know, crafting this prayer. But when you just take the generic thing, it's, it, sounds, it's, it sort of sounds like this. Oh, God, just make this easier. Oh, God, just make it easier, God. Or, or God, can you just show me? God, can you just make it feel more predictable? It just seems mysterious and scary. 
the future, and I don't kind of want to go there, and I don't want to step out into the wilderness. I don't want to just be in a place where you're the only thing I'm sure about and everything else is a question mark. So could you help me before I say yes to this? Could you show it to me so it can be predictable, and I'll know how long it lasts and how quick and how painful it's going to be? Is that what's your prayer? Can you make it safer, God? Can you make it safer for me? For my children, for people I love. Oh, God, give me a safe world to live in because I don't want to have to cling to you. I think God, you know, scratching his head. Oh, what are these people thinking? (laughs) The one thing I'm after in your life, the one thing I'm after in your life is you desperately clinging to me. And you're praying these big prayers that make you want to cling to everything else but me. You keep asking me for a life that doesn't need me. How many of you think God's going to give you that life? Listen, God, God knows what you need in order to desperately go after him. He knows you. He knows your frame. He knows the hairs in your head. And he sovereignly rules over every piece of it. Listen, I live a real life too, right? God, God knew that, you know, Keith will cling to me. Let's see, one, two, three kids. No, four, he'll still do it himself. Uh, five, nah, he's getting a little weak there. But uh, no, nah, he's still got a little bit too much of him here. Six, seven, yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> Here you go, dude. Here's seven kids. Uh, provide for them. Influence them. Protect them. Care for them. Launch them into a healthy, wonderful life. Here, go ahead. Here you go. Enjoy. <laughs> and, uh, and quickly, you find yourself in a place praying, God, rescue me. God, help me. God, I can't do this. God, I can't provide that. God, I can't be enough influence for that. God, I don't even know where the future road goes. I don't know how to fully prepare them for that. God, I need you. All right, so this is the thing. This is, and I'm going to go back to the tie illustration. See, God's meaning something when he says, bring the full tithe. You know, God doesn't want you to, to, to create a life that you can manage it. Okay, it's just, it's just big enough for me to look like it's adventurous, but it's still me in control. No, no, God says, bring the full time. Put yourself in a bind. Well, you've got to look to me. You've got to trust me. I think that's what you're seeing in this verse. You have a gracious God saying, I'm pulling back the windows of heaven. Would you guys just look to me? Would you have faith toward me in an amazing big way? And receive from me so that then you will live in a land of delight. Not the one you're living in now, but then you'll live in a land of delight. Now, can I tell you this? This is, this is the one, and I, I wish I had an hour to say more about this, but I'm going to stop. The one thing that I kept seeing when I kept reading this book, reading this book, reading this book, was a God who demanded it all from us. And in his wisdom and mercy, he knew if I, if I leave you with an ounce to yourselves, it will undo you and destroy you. And it won't fulfill my purpose in your life. You've got to live your life toward me wide open, completely toward me. I kept trying to think of an illustration for that. 
this was weak, but the best one I could come up with. You ever see those karate guys when they, you know, get the board thing happening? They, they pull the board out. The karate guy walks up to it, you know, he's, and he, and he just punches right through, breaks the big board. It's like, wow. Right, you know the biggest mistake that guy can make? Is right before he goes to hit the board to slow up a little. Just take a little bit off the acceleration there because it actually changes the force. Because force is mass times acceleration. So all of a sudden, he's going to do what most of us do. Because for us, it doesn't make sense. Wait, you want me to hit that board as hard as I can with my hand? Something inside of me recoils at the idea, right? If you've ever coached football, you've told those little kids that. You want to be the guy giving the hit, not the guy receiving the hit. But you just can't stop kids from running up to the other guy and going... Well, as soon as you slow down and do that, you're going to get nailed. But if you're the guy driving through that other guy, you're kind of going to spring back up and go. That's, right. That's me. I'm all over that. There's something counterintuitive. By faith, you and I are called by faith to live faith wide open in God. Trusting him radically. If you pull a little bit back from that, it messes up how faith operates. And you live not in a land of delight. You live in a land of frustration. I know it sounds counterintuitive because we almost, we don't want to go there because we want to self-preserve, right? That we're trying to protect ourselves. That sounds too radical. I don't know if I can do that. But it's exactly what you need to do this morning. Radically trust God. Let's stand up together. Father, I thank you for the uniqueness and effectiveness of your spirit in our lives right now, Lord, right now. Lord, we have together listened to your word preached. And now, Lord, you are individually caring for our souls. Lord, some in one place, others in another. But, Lord, all of us here this morning needing, needing, to walk by faith in our lives. So, Lord, I thank you right now. Lord, I know there's some people here right now. Spirit of God, I pray you make this helpfully real for some. There are some people here this morning who the condition of their lives feels like sins, weakness, habits, waywardness has been ruling in their life. They're here this morning convinced There's no way to beat a hand full of queens and kings and aces. They're not even sure to engage the card game with you, God, because they just don't think. They're, They're certain they have made such a mess. They have been so unresponsive, so unwilling. But God, thank you that you are the way you are. He saved us, not on the basis of anything we did righteously, not on the basis of anything we did righteously. So God, thank you that this morning you can meet any person in any place in this building, no matter how horrible of a story they feel like they can tell. 
Your grace comes to find them now, right now in this place. And so, Lord, we want to make room in our hearts to believe that there is hope. There's hope for where I'm at. Lord, there's hope for this dark place that I've found myself in, this wayward place that I have been in. God, there is hope. So, Father, would you right now help those who maybe gave up on the idea that things could change this morning. God, would you stir their hearts to believe? Because it's you by grace that changes their minds. It's you by grace that brought them here this morning. It's you by grace giving them ears to hear. Lord, you're at work. God, let them recognize you're at work. Let them feel the nearness that you have come near to them. Even though they would say, I've not been interested in coming near to God. But yet you have come near to them again this morning. Oh God, what hope we have. Because you are persistent in your grace. Listen, I'm going to pray for some other folks in just a moment. But there may be a need for you to respond. Move from where you are. I'm going to ask you to do that physically. So that you can do that spiritually. Maybe physically, you need to come forward and say, God, this morning, meet me. God, this morning, I, I, I need that grace. I need you to play that grace card. God, play it in my life. It is bad. I don't feel like I have much hope. If that's where you are this morning, and that's the land you've been dwelling in, there's a land of delight, but you're going to need to move. You're going to need to respond. You just can't hear this. You've got to respond by faith. And I'm going to ask you to physically get up from where you are and just come forward here and pray. Be able to say, God, today, a new day, your grace available to me. I need it and I want it. Come where you are. Come from where you are. You can just put a little urgency in your life. If you're sensing anything in your heart that's saying, well, I think that's for me. I think that's for me. Well, that's God drawing near to you. Receive from God. In his mercy, he's come to you graciousness of God. So many of us have stories in our life where God has come to us. This is a morning for you. God has come to you in his kindness. Don't stay a moment more where you are. Don't believe in the power of that king or that ace. That situation in your life, that habit in your life, that, that hopeless dark place in your life. Don't believe in that anymore. Believe in a God who is full of grace and mercy to find you, make a new day to dawn in your life. I mean, this is a God who's saying, listen, I want you to dwell in a land of delight. Then I will swallow up the need in your life. Then I will rebuke the things that devour your life. Then I will make sure there's fruitfulness in your life. God has already provided a place of abundant kindness for you. Let his grace fall in your life today. I think for some here, the need for response has to do with with faith. Has to do with God challenging whether or not you're just going through the motions right now. You're in your walk, you're going through the motions, you're attending church, you do a little Bible reading, go to a meeting here and there. But are you, are you radically trusting God? Do you, does your life feel like it's on the edge? That if God doesn't come through, I'm doing stuff that if God doesn't come through, the whole world's going to fall apart. My life is way too big. But, but I'm leaning into God right now. Listen, if, if that's not where you are, God wants to get your attention. And the way he does is by telling you to bring that thing fully to me, fully to me. Bring me the full tithe. 
Bring that thing completely to me. Trust that thing completely to me. Right? Maybe, maybe, maybe it is a tithe. Maybe it is financial. Maybe for you, you've been skidding through this whole teaching in the last couple of weeks on this. And God's trying to get you to fully trust him, to do something that's going to require you to look to him, to meet you in the future. Or maybe, maybe it's just some sense of fear. You've got fear in your life right now. There's just something you're just afraid of. God is saying, bring that thing fully to me. Fully bring it to me. Come give it to me. Well, God, I don't know what you're going to do with it. I don't, I don't know what will happen in the future. Well, that's the whole thing that you're doing when you bring it to God. Let him do whatever he'll do with it. But what if God, what if God changes it? Well, then let him change it. What if God does away with it in my life and this is the last time this is ever going to happen and this is gone in my life forever? Well, then let God do that. Trust him. But I don't think that would be good. Oh, but, but you know you're not smarter than God, right? If the goodness of God removes that thing in your life, it's the best thing that could happen. Fully bring it to God. I just want you guys, just listen. Let the Holy Spirit be real for you right now. As to whether there are categories in your life where where you're just not walking in faith. Put yourself in a place to receive radically from God and look to Him in dependence. I I had a couple of impressions for folks. I just want to share with you. This in no way is an exhaustive list. God needs to find you where you are, and he will. But I had a sense that there may be someone here who is struggling with the thought of going back to school. A lot of questions, a lot of struggle, a lot of fears, a lot of uncertainty. And that's where you're living right now, trying to make that decision. I believe God this morning is telling you, I want you to fully bring that to me. Come to me in faith, look into me believing that you're going to have to have me in that category with you in an amazing way. But if you trust me and look to me, God will meet you in that decision. I felt like there was somebody here, you are, you're trying to make some radical decisions about following God, but you know this. It's going to cost you the people in your life. If you follow God, you're going to walk away from friends. And you've been wrestling with that. I believe God is saying to you this morning, come trust me fully with that. Don't let your fear of what might happen control what you do. This morning, come to God and say, God, I'm fully in. I'm fully following. Lord, no matter what the cost, no matter what it changes or who it changes in my life, I'm coming. I have one more impression that there's somebody here you're afraid to go to the doctor. You've had a sense that you need to go to the doctor. You think about it almost daily that you should go to the doctor, but you're afraid to go to the doctor. Listen, no matter what that doctor says to you, God is God in your life. He wants to be trusted. And it may be that what that doctor says completely releases you into peace. Or it may be that what that doctor says 
completely releases you into clinging to God. I think God's trying to tell you, don't try and escape trusting me. Don't beg for a life that doesn't need me. You go, and you meet God in that. Father, I pray for us this morning. Lord, we, did, we don't want to be a people who are seeking a life that doesn't need you. It needs, it needs more in a bank account. It needs a better job. It needs health in my body. It needs all the people around me to do the right thing. It needs my spouse to be a certain way. It needs my children to respond a certain way. God, it just needs everything around me needs. My boss needs to make a right decision about that. God, help us to not be a bunch of people who attend church, go through some motions, but we're not desperately believing you. You, Lord. Lord, you desire to be the source of the land of the life. You desire for us to look to you in a way that revolutionizes our daily living. We're not just a people with faith in a box in the attic. God, we are a people who are looking to you today. Lord, today in my life, I'm looking to you today. God, I'm getting up in the morning and I'm facing a diagnosis today with faith toward you. You will be my God. I'm looking to you, Lord, as I stare at a bank account that can't do all that I think it needs to do. God, my eyes are on you. And I thank you for a place where i got to cling to you, God, and you've got to rescue me. I thank you for a wilderness where the only thing there is a miraculous God who will meet me in that moment. God, that's who we want to be. That's who we want to be, Lord. We want to walk in the days in the future aware of a God of incredible grace who's looking for us to dwell and live in a land of delight by faith for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.